BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Welcome to Right on Hollywood with Christian Toto, part of the Just the News Podcast Network. Sick of media bias infecting film reviews? Furious that too many stars insult your views? Right on Hollywood has your back. Christian is an award-winning journalist, movie critic, and founder of HollywoodinToto.com, the right take on entertainment. Now here's your host, Christian Toto. Welcome to Right on Hollywood, a proud member of the Just the News Podcast family. This week's show is brought to you by the Babylon Bee. We have a much better chance of getting the news right than CNN. Well, 2021 is almost over, and it's time to say goodbye and good riddance to another lousy year. No point in sugarcoating that. It's still a good time to look back at the stories that mattered in pop culture this year, and maybe a peek at what we can expect in 2022. I wanted to start with Gutfeld, Greg Gutfeld. He's Fox News' professional wise guy, and he crashed the late night party this year. And he ended up being more popular than everyone out there except for Stephen Colbert. And for some weeks, he even topped that late night show host. Amazing, right? Not really. It's simple math. Late night TV ignores half the country. Fox News gave that half the country someone who spoke their language. It's more or less it. Now, Gutfeld is a really funny guy. He's sharp, he's wise, he's got the, he's got the business savvy to bring to this, this particular experiment, so I don't want to discount that part of the story. It's still a perfect example of Hollywood just ignoring Red State USA so long, they were dying for an alternative. Along comes Gutfeld, and he's a rating smash. Now, I don't think the major platforms, Netflix, ABC, anyone you're thinking of, I don't think they're going to do much of anything to compete with Gutfeld especially in 2022, maybe in the future, not now. So let's, I'm kind of curious what he does next on his Fox News perch. Does he get wilder? Does he get crazier? Does he kind of keep on keeping on? If it ain't broke, don't fix it. I, it's, it's kind of curious to see how he progresses. Again, a lot of times a new show needs months and months to get its sea legs, to kind of get its voice. And, you know, the show's only a few months old. It came out in April. So maybe in year two, it'll be even better, even more different maybe even more popular with audiences. We'll have to see. Of course, another huge story this year was Chappellegate. The country's, I would say, the country's biggest comedy superstar told some tough jokes on his Netflix special, The Closer, but the gags that touched on the trans community caused a commotion. I'm actually downplaying that reaction. Media outlets went crazy. They aligned with the far-left protesters, which they always do, and somehow Chappelle survived, mostly, though. There were some partial cancellations here and there, but he lived to tell a joke another day. But I think this is what other Hollywood commentators are not talking about regards to Chappelle and Netflix and what happened as a result of that particular show. 
it probably scared the bleep out of 98% of other stand-up comedians who are not named Dave Chappelle. Chances are they're not going to go anywhere near a trans community joke or other kind of conversations that are challenging or difficult or lead in directions where there is some discomfort to be had. Other special interest groups, I'm not going near them either. Uh, It's not worth the trouble. Dave Chappelle can survive that. Can I? I don't have his gravitas. I don't have his skill. I'm just a working comic. I'm going nowhere near any kind of joke that's going to be outrageous or incendiary or even just thought-provoking. That's the real fallout here. And it's not comedy. It's a real shame when comedians can't take us to dark, interesting places with their, with their stand-up humor. That's what they do best. And sometimes they fall on their faces. There's absolutely no question about it. Not every Dave Chappelle joke lands. Some of them can be just cruel for cruelty's sake, maybe. He's trying. He's trying to make us laugh. It's what he does. It's what a comedian's job is. Make us laugh. Make us think. Push us in some interesting directions. If you take that away... We have less good, less quality comedy, that's for sure. I think we may see that from the near future. And of course, 2021 was also the year that Britney Spears was freed from the shackles of her family. At least I think she was. I have to say, I really just avoided this story as much as possible. And here's my reasoning. I don't think we know all the ins and outs of it. We don't know her mental state. We're not doctors. We're not privy to her her emotional situation. We don't know what she's gone through, what medica- medication she may be on. I know we live in the land of hot takes, but I don't know. I just wanted to go as far away as possible from the story. I know it's clickbait. I know it's gossip fodder for sure. And certainly there are larger implications of someone not being able to live their full life based on uh, what their doctors say, what their family says. I get it. I get all of that. But I just feel like it's a story I don't have enough information to fully weigh on, in on. So if you want to, go ahead. It was a big story. I don't deny that. But I just didn't really dig into it with both feet this time. I also was the only person on planet Earth who didn't watch Squid Game. So again, more apologies. But I am going to make up for that in the new year, I promise. I also did, on this case, proudly skip that Tiger King sequel. I think that show generated about a thousandth of the buzz and interest and excitement of the original, and I get it. It's overplayed. That was a moment in time. The pandemic was brand new. We needed escape. And as I've said before, I think that Tiger King, the original docuseries, was actually quite good. I think it was beautifully assembled. I thought it was fascinating. And all the people in it, these really deeply flawed souls, I don't think they were truly playing to the camera like some reality show stars do. I think this time around, though, oh, they knew they were famous. They knew what could happen as a result. And I think that's one of the main reasons why I skipped that one entirely. Another show that returned was Sex and the City. Now it's called And Just Like That. I kind of like that title. And, of course, the show went completely woke right out of the gate. And we don't have the ratings for that. It's an HBO Max series. So I'd be very curious to see how many people, old school fans of the show, stuck around, how many were chased away, and whether it's going to be renewed for a second season. We'll have to wait and see for that. This year also showed that the Fast and Furious franchise, yeah, it can run out of steam and petrol and NOS and whatever you want to say about that particular, you know, use your favorite car metaphor there. It just, F9 was just a dud. And uh, there's two more coming. I think that's going to officially wrap the series. Unless they're super success- successful, then I think we'll see more. But they're saying it's going to wrap up soon. 
Let's hope that's the case. I, I love this franchise. I think it's really an absolutely popular series. I think it's diverse in all the right ways and all the good ways. I think it's fun. I think it's exciting. But boy, they're starting to do and they're starting to fall into a self-parody mode that does not look good on this particular franchise. It's time to wrap it up, guys and gals. We had fun, but it's over. It's over, Johnny, as uh, John Rambo might say. I also want to look a little bit into late night TV, which is all but ignored President Joe Biden this year. It's truly amazing. Yeah, they do a couple of jokes about him being older, maybe rib him a time or two about his poll ratings and how bad they are. But it's they're spending far more attention on that My Pillow guy, Tucker Carlson, Donald Trump Jr. It is pathetic, and I don't see that changing anytime soon. So what about 2022? What's going to happen next in pop culture? Well, I think a lot of it is going to be more of the same. I think Hollywood, for all its liberal idealism, it's pretty conservative and it moves slowly. It doesn't like change. It likes to kind of go with the status quo. It's why we see all these reboots and sequels and remakes. It's just safe. And I think right now they're going to stay the course, and that could be good and that could be bad for sure. But we'll have to see how it all translates in the next few months. Uh, it was interesting. I just saw a new Fandango poll of moviegoers. And they asked them which blockbuster in 2022 is the one that they can't wait to see. And uh, turns out that the new Black Panther movie topped the list. Kind of interesting, especially with the loss of Chadwick Boseman. But nine out of ten movies were all sequels. And one was a reboot, The Batman. So I think it kind of says where we are as a culture, the kind of movies that we're really anticipating in 2022 and beyond, and what Hollywood is willing to give us. If we're clamoring for sequels, we'll get more of the same. It's our fault, really. But listen, if they make a good sequel, I'm okay with that. Now, another interesting thing to look for in 2022 is the Daily Wire. And in full disclosure, I am a contributor to that site. Not a full-time employee, mind you, but I do write for them now and then. So take with that as you will. But they are getting really heavily into the entertainment business. We just saw Adam Carolla's new sh new series, Truth Yeller, and two new Daily Wire originals are going to come in the first half of 2022. Right out of the gate, we'll see Shut In, a new thriller, and then Terror on the Prairie. And I was on the set for that particular movie. I'm still under a loose embargo. I can't say much more about it, but... I'm very curious about it. It's sort of an indie western. Looks like it's got some sharp elbows for sure. And the star is Gina Carano, who was canceled by Disney and then brought back from the abyss by the Daily Wire. Good for them. We're very curious to see not only what else they have in store for 2022, but also the reaction from the media and from fans. And one of the things I am a little disappointed in as far as Daily Wire is concerned is that their content, this fresh new content, is behind the paywall. You have to be a subscriber to get access to it. And I understand that as a great business model. Makes sense. But if you do want to influence the culture, I do think you want to have your stuff available far and wide. So we'll have to see how they kind of uh, look into that. And maybe moving forward, they can share some of their stuff with the greater population. But I think a lot of people are just going to stay away because it's a right-leaning website. And that's going to be a shame because some of their products are actually pretty good. I mentioned before that Batman is coming just in time for the summer season. Actually, March is going to get, a, get an early kickoff. And I suspect it's going to lure the same pandemic-weary audiences back to the theater the same way Spider-Man did just a couple weeks ago. We never, ever get tired of Spidey. And I think the same goes, is proving true for Batman. That Dark Knight, man, he's got a hold in us. 
I also think 2022 is the year that we'll see even more rebellious comedians breaking out, maybe even pretty big. Uh, I've been following Chrissy Mayer, Tyler Fisher, but maybe someone else, maybe someone else who's not even on our radar yet will rise up, maybe tell some jokes that no one else is telling, and make a name for themselves. Wouldn't that be great? I think the platforms are there, whether it's podcasting or Rumble or one of these newer social media outlets. It can be done. Tell some funny jokes. Speak truth to power, because you know Saturday Night Live and the late night comics, they're not doing it. Then again, if Joe Biden keeps failing and flailing like he is right now, it is possible one or two late night comics will peel off from the pack and start really making fun of him in a way that's significant. Hey, it's the start of the new year. Anything's possible, right? Don't touch that dial. You're listening to Right on Hollywood. What's the dial? VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. The Toto's Take of the Week is Psycho 2. This 1983 thriller takes place more than two decades after Alfred Hitchcock's immortal classic, Psycho. What a cash grab, right? Well, not exactly. I was kind of surprised by this. I saw it when I first came out years and years ago. But recently rewatched it. I was pretty impressed. Of course, it all hinges on Anthony Perkins, whose back is Norman Bates, and his character is trying to resume a normal life. But he goes back to the Bates Motel, not a good move. I'm not a psychiatrist, but I'm his doctor. I'm thinking, okay, you go back anywhere else but the base motel, but that's where he goes. And of course, for plot purposes, it has to start there. But of course, those old thoughts keep creeping back into his mind. And that voice, that voice of mother, it never goes away. And it doesn't help that he's being persecuted by some old foes and some new creeps, including Dennis Franz, who plays the, uh, the guy who's running the motel in Norman's absence. He is a horrible human being, and of course, Dennis Franz makes it all worthwhile because he's a good actor. We also see uh, a young Meg Tilly here. She's playing a waitress who works oh so briefly with Norman, but she's got a soft spot for guys who just love their mama. I'm kind of kidding on that one, but it's kind of true. The story takes us place in some interesting directions. I was really taken aback by it. There's also a murder mystery here, which I didn't see coming. And the finale that is an absolute hoot. Now, none of this can top the original. That's, that shower scene is iconic. The way that Hitchcock held back and held back and then really kind of let loose the scares. And he did it all without that hard R rating. There was no blood. There was no gore. He just made classic scares because he was a master of his craft. Psycho 2 was none of that, but it is engaging, it is fun, it is interesting, and it kind of adds to the whole legacy of this franchise. I didn't expect any of that. It's a good film. And you can order Psycho 2 right now on Video On Demand, or if you're a Peacock subscriber, you can watch it right now. The last time I saw this week's guest perform, he made me cry. Now, it's actually a good thing. Steve McGrew is a very funny stand-up comedian and lighting question. He had me laughing so hard, so long, I got that teary-eyed thing going on. It was hilarious. He's old school that way. Of course, he does observational humor that makes us laugh and think and talks about things like the differences between the sexes because sometimes we are a little bit different. It's okay. Offstage, though, McGrew really leans to the right. And he shares that on social media. And, of course, he gets in trouble for it. I think he spends more time in Facebook jail than out of it. Plus, 
sometimes being right of center can actually cost you work. And he shares a little bit more about that in a few minutes. Now, of course, he's a touring stand-up comedian. He's also the mind behind Liberal Larry and Tucker the Trucker, two social media personalities. And he's got a really cool podcast that's called Remasculate. He interviews some really great comedians from an unapologetically male point of view because he is male, and that's not a crime. I hope you'll enjoy my conversation with Steve McGrew, also known as the Hellbent Southern Gent. Steve, thanks for joining the show. Now, I know you've been touring of late despite the pandemic, and I was kind of curious. I want to start with a basic question. Is there anything different about touring right now for you as opposed to two, three, four years ago? Is there Are the crowds different? Do you have different reactions? Are you preparing any differently? What's what's changed for you, or is it sort of the, uh, the good, old, good old standard? Well, it's sort of been the good old standard. Uh, people are excited to get out again. They're, they're happy to be able to get out. Uh, when it first got back into the clubs, everybody was sitting there with masks at their tables, which sort of masked the laughter. You know, yeah. you'd just hear, <laughs> which doesn't help a lot. But now they're able to like remove their mask at the table, which honestly makes no sense to me because you're maskless. Either you wear a mask or you don't. Like the, like the droplets go, oh, they're sitting down. We can't go anywhere. <laughs> That's right. Well, it's kind of this charade involving the restaurants. You walk in with the mask on, you settle into your seat, and then you take the mask off to prepare for dinner. Uh, it, it just seems doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. Now, as a comedian, I, I've never thought about this, and you just brought it up. Do you, I'm sure you feed off the laughter for sure. And that's sort of a, you know, you kind of have to modulate your, you know, whether you tell a joke or whether you go in a different direction based on the reaction there. But do you feed off the smiles, the, the, the sort of the, the facial reactions? Or if you're on the stage, is that something you can't see directly because of the lighting? That's a great question. I've actually told people that this, um, I do feed off faces because if people are smiling, even if they're not laughing, they're having a good time. And you, you kind of play to those people. And then you'll find a face that maybe has been stern for quite a while. And you're like, my goal is to make this person laugh. So you're taking facial cues for your, for your show. Excellent. And the mask definitely interrupt that. Now, one of the things you and I have talked about over the years is social media, which has been very cruel to you. And, and, and you, know, you, you know, you throw some sharp elbows on social media for sure, but a lot of other people do, and I'm sure they face little to no repercussions. Can you just maybe boil down to someone who still doubts that social media is, is unfair to conservatives, sort of what you've gone through? And I, I'm sure there's a million stories you can share, but maybe one or two anecdotes just to really show the disparity of treatment that happens on social media. Well, I can tell you one right now that's happening uh, at, at this moment. I got banned from Facebook again. I, you know, I'm a Facebook repeat offender, <laughs> right. but I, 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 got, uh, I got suspended for 30 days. I appealed. They wrote me back that afternoon. We got this wrong. Your post is back up. Oh. The next day, I got suspended again for the exact same post <laughs> with no chance to appeal. So how does that how does that work? You know what I mean? That was definitely a uh, to me, somebody is is stalking my site or several people are stalking, just trying to get me knocked off. Yeah. Can you share briefly what it was about that what the post in question? Uh, was there anything sort of uh, rough and tumble about the particular message you were sending? Is anything you can kind of share about that? Oh, yeah, it was it was a, uh, a, a meme that I had made with uh, 
Ralphie holding the the BB gun. Remember from a Christmas Story? Yep. And I I put a, a an AR instead of the BB gun, and it said, "You'll shoot your arm off." Oh, and this is the Rittenhouse case, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I've seen much worse on social media than that, and uh, that's much course, worse, much yeah. much worse. Now you know I I I think. It seems almost farcical when we talk about it, but you're a comedian, and that means you're an entrepreneur, and you're kind of, you know, trying to build a career. I mean, you already have a career, but you're kind of always making it better and, and, and reaching out to people and networking. This isn't a funny matter for you. I mean, this is, you know, this is one way, a critical way, I imagine, that you reach your audience and make them laugh or tell them about the latest gigs. Talk about that aspect of it, because that's, I think, you know, it, it's one thing to say, oh, you know, I got taken off Facebook so I can't share pictures of my grandkid. But if right. it's you, you're a comedian. You need that. Talk about what it means to, what it means to you to kind of get banned in a way. Well I can't I can't promote gigs if if I can't get on. So that's mm. definitely a loss of income. Um, I can't I can't promote myself or latest pro- products. Like you know I've been out on tour with Terrence Williams. We've been we've been doing uh, tour dates together. And I can't promote that tour, which then it gets makes the promoter mad at me. Like, you need to not, you know, you know, calm down, quit getting knocked off. I go, I'm getting banned for stuff four years ago. This, I have nothing, no control over the band, which, you know, that really hurts me because I can't change it. I can't fix it. I'm supposed to go back and delete everything. Yeah, it's it's frustrating. Now, a lot of the work that you do on stage is apolitical. It's sort of observational humor about relationships, differences between the genders. Have you in recent years gotten more political on stage or do you kind of mostly have that as a social media part of your uh, brand? It is mostly a social media uh, part of my brand, but I was just in Vegas working at the uh, the Laugh Factory and one of the comics came in, local comics in Vegas came in and said, wow, your act has, has no politics in it. Because what caused all the big trouble over at the MGM? You know, the Brad thing, when I got fired from, for Brad. Everybody just assumed that I must have been just an uh, outspoken, you know, Trump supporter. Everything on stage was ranting about the right. And they seemed surprised that I, that I wasn't. But I, I really believe you... For me, you shouldn't divide an audience. Comedy is comedy, you know, and we've had so much talk about all the guys on the left that all they do is bash. They're not, they're not even funny anymore. They're just, they want cheers and applause just to go, isn't the right stupid? Yeah! You know, <laughs> so it's not really about comedy anymore. It's a shame, too. You know, I think Stephen Colbert is actually a genuinely funny fellow, but I can barely recognize the current version. And just I want to mention to the listeners that uh, what you're referring to here is that Brad Garrett runs a comedy club in Vegas, and you've worked with him over the years. You've appeared at his club. And then more recently, he reached out to you and said, hey, you support Trump. I I can't support that and basically blocked you from his club. So it just it's a, a microscopic example of what's happening in comedy culture, but it matters and it is a high-profile high case because it is Brad Garrett and, and you're, a, you're a veteran comedian who shouldn't be treated that way. Uh, talk a little bit about uh, sort of the reaction to your jokes. Do you find that there's a, you know, I don't know if you mentioned COVID or anything else. Are there certain jokes now that are landing differently, maybe like a, a pressure release or a, a sense that audiences are, are dying to laugh about this topic or that topic? I, I was actually 
told, well, not told, but hinted at that maybe we should avoid COVID jokes, you know, that, uh, or, or mask jokes. And I find that people have been laughing harder at, at those because I, I poke fun of like, I never thought I'd walk into my bank with a bandana pulled up <laughs> over my face. You know, I'm here to take out my own money. Oh, never mind. Give me all of them. You know, this kind of stuff. And, and you know, about how people were hoarding toilet paper uh when this first started i got I, I didn't understand that at all because this is an upper respiratory disease <laughs> well what were you afraid you were going to sneeze and poop in your pants <laughs> that's that's not covid that's taco bell <laughs> and and, the, and those jokes i mean now are hitting harder two years later than they did when i first was doing them when you know when it was kicking in interesting you i know- think people want to laugh at those I, I think you'd agree with this, that comedy feels like it's really threatened of late. It's not just the, the woke bylaws where you can't, you can't touch on certain topics. I can't remember the last big mainstream comedy that made me howl. I, I just recently watched Old School and The 40-Year-Old Virgin again just because I love them and I wanted to laugh. And I just I don't think they make those movies. But I want to kind of flip that on its head a little bit and ask you, is there a benefit or an upside to where we are from a comedy perspective, is there, you know, we know the Colbert's aren't telling the right, aren't telling funny jokes. We know there's pressure to say the, you know, stay off topics, but it, does it open opportunities for you? Do you see, uh, you know, other trends emerging that might not have emerged a while ago? What, what's, I, I want to kind of do a glasses half full approach to this. What do you think? Well, I, I can see that uh, the theaters are more accepting of, of wanting us, you know, like, like I said, Terrence and I and some other guys, we book theater shows because people will come to that. Where clubs have been leaning more toward, hey, you know, we've got the twenty-somethings that are buying drinks and they're all, you know, uh, social media addicts. So I, I think that the the upside is you're getting a bigger audience mm-hmm. in these theaters than you are in the two hundred seat club. You know, we're doing eight, nine, one thousand seats compared to uh, the smaller clubs. So that so that's a good thing, but. I was thinking the other day. I, I heard about uh, Aaron Sorkins. Mm-hmm. The uh, he was he was talking about social media jumping on him for the casting of the new uh, Lucy movie. Yep. And he said that social media doesn't cast his films, and I love that because I think that's what people are finally starting to realize is social media isn't the entire world. It's not the real world, and people have been so afraid of it. It's nice to see somebody pushing back, like you know, go ahead and complain. I, I I'm not going to play your game, mm-hmm. and that that would be awesome if more corporations and clubs and things like that just said, you know, we're booking who we want. Don't buy a ticket. Yeah, that would be refreshing. And I think another aspect of social media that we discount is that we aren't our always our true selves on social media. I have a a, a friend of the family who is a very sweet woman, and we, we, we trust her with our children, and we hang out with her all the time. She's a very dear person, and she is pretty nasty on social media. Now, if you met her in person, if you needed her to you know pick you up from the airport, she's there for you. But she has kind of an, an, an angrier self that appears on social media. So I think even people, when they think about Twitter and Facebook, it's it's truly not reality because I think we're often a different persona there. So I just I just want to kind of throw that in there. But I I also go, go ahead. Do you have, do you have a thought on that? Well, I was going to say I was going to say that 
social media or especially Twitter is sort of like the CB of, of its day, <laughs> you know, that you, you took on a persona, you had that handle that was not, that never even you, you know, like you wanted to be something bigger than life. And you were like, yeah, breaker, breaker, one night, you were doing your voice and everything. I think that is what social media is today. Like there was a story that well, there's this thing called neighbor, neighbor app or neighborhood app. I don't know if you've seen that. It goes along with the like ring doorbell. Okay. And it's become like the, the Yelp for Karens. Uh, <laughs> where, you, where it used to be like, hey, you know, we're going to be having this garage sale. Or does anybody recognize this cat? Or you might have lost my dog. Please help me find it. And now they're like, I saw the Red Robin burnt down the other day. I'm not surprised. The service was bad. <laughs> how, does that, how does that have to do with the place catching on fire? You know, and I think that's what social media has just become a place where stupid people go to complain. They want to be heard. I, I really believe social media is has given voice to people that just really ought to just go sit in the corner and shut up. And I think it's almost it could be either cathartic or maybe therapeutic for people to kind of spill all their bile there. But I, I don't know. I, I feel like society is getting a little bit crueler than maybe it's not really having the desired effect. You know, one of the things I've looked about looked at it over the years is comedy and cancel culture and why more comedians have not been uh, more aggressive against it and, and been critical of it. You know, I, you, you certainly fall squarely into that category. Ricky Gervais, Adam Carolla, Rob Schneider as well. But many don't. I was shocked to hear Mark Maron's comments recently about cancel culture, and he he basically uh, kind of basically supported it. And, and I think there's often a fear factor that, that maybe they fear their old routines will resurface. They fear that if they say the wrong thing, they couldn't get in trouble, so they get ahead of it that they could defend themselves. But is there another factor here? Said. What's that? That I think I think you're right. That's beautifully said. I, I I've known some of these guys, you know, the comedy world forever, and I'm surprised. It's like what? I, I've seen your old act. I know, <laughs> what, I know what you used to say, and and I do think that they're you know their their job is the comedy clubs. So they're trying to, like you said earlier, stay in good graces with the comedy clubs or the comedy audiences because they're they're not growing and saying like, you know what, Matt, that was good. I was I was an alcohol salesman for for uh-huh. twenty years, and now it's time to to move on to something bigger and better. But I I I've noticed that I think a lot of the guys, the comics that are on the left, have always been slightly off. There's there's a damage to a lot of comedians. You know, there's a damaged life where they always want to have their, uh, you know, I wasn't hugged enough as a kid or I, you know, I was, I was fat as a kid, so I didn't have any friends, but here's, here's my take on life. So you see what I'm saying? So I think that they're always looking for validation mm-hmm. and social media gives them that validation. And what's even more surprising to me is there's a bullying factor. I've talked to comedians who say that sometimes the people trying to get them canceled or get a gig taken away from them are fellow comics. Have you have you found that at all? Oh yeah, I remember back I don't uh, when I was getting all that trouble with Brad's Club, and uh, they were trying to get me canceled at the Comedy Works. I was supposed to do New Year's, and a ton of the local, <laughs> and I'm doing air quotes, comedians <laughs> here in Denver. Uh, went after me by saying, you know, how can you support this? How can you, this guy is a Trump supporter. You're, you're putting hate and racism in your club. It, that's just online bullying, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's funny because I think for maybe 
gosh, a while now, the whole term bullying was a really big issue and it was brought to the fore. And I, I think in many ways, that's a good thing. Bullying is not, it's not pleasant. It's not helpful. Uh, but I don't think we hear much about bullying of late. And I wonder if maybe on some level, the people who are pushing that cause celeb all of a sudden realize that there is bullying there and they actually maybe support versions of it. But I, I, I don't that, know. That it's them. It's them. <laughs> it's, yeah, the bullying is, they are the bully. Well, I, I've been doing a, a a thing in my act lately about how uh, uh, victimhood is very important to people. Like it's the first thing out of their mouth. They want to be known for it. Like they're, they, it's some kind of, uh, you know, monetary thing that will, you know, hi, I'm Debbie. I'm lactose intolerant. You know? And I'm like, <laughs> oh, I, hi, I'm Steve. I'm, I'm jerk intolerant. Back up. I punch <laughs> in the head. And, and, and so it's, it's like they want to be known and, and be appreciated. Like, you know, I can't eat certain foods and I can't, you know, I, I can't do this and I can't. I, can you imagine being a checkout person at like Whole Foods? <laughs> I'm buying almond milk with I'm lactose and I can't eat cheese. And I'm just like, Grace, shut up, keep moving. Uh, <laughs> but but the, the, I've been doing a thing about there wasn't a lot of unhealthy kids back when I seriously, when I was a, when I was a kid in, in school, you know, there wasn't the there wasn't the the allergies and all this stuff you never heard about these things and you never heard about the the really obese kid that had a note that he couldn't participate in class you know and i said i don't even remember but basically one obese kid in my school and that's the truth because we all did gym and climbed the ropes and did all the all that stuff and i and i said the one kid that we did have we all teased him until he got healthy Which is politically Which incorrect, is, but there's sort of a shaming factor there that maybe helped that poor right. lad. You know, th- right, that- but, I think, but I think that's true. I, I remember playing in dodgeball as a kid. I was always the one. I was a small guy in glasses, and I would hide behind people in dodgeball. And one day I got hit and broke my collarbone, and I actually came back bigger and stronger. I thought, all right, let's play this game. Let's do it. And I think sometimes you have to actually get hurt in life to realize – you know, you need to man up a little bit. Yeah, it, it's a tough thing for parents, especially when they're, I know you're a dad, is, is that you want to you protect your kid from all the bumps and bruises, but at the same time, they need some of those bumps and bruises just to kind of be a, a stronger person. It, it's funny, some of the conversation we're having right now feels it's not political, it's not Biden, Trump, et cetera, but I think it's, there's a cultural overlap with maybe the political space, maybe it's culture wars. And I, do you, do you find that maybe that's kind of part of your act in a way where it wouldn't, I mean, I think what you're saying. Yeah. Is, no, I think you're exactly right. That's what I, I, I consider myself uh, a conservative comic, not a right wing comic, but I used to call myself a country comic because you thought the country life, you know, is to always tell the right, you know, the truth, a handshake is your guarantee. That used to be the oath of, you know, of country. But I think, We've lost this whole thing of the difference between right and wrong, and it's 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 wrong to completely, you know, bubble wrap your kid and try to keep them that way. Because can you win a war with bubble wrap children? I don't <laughs> think so. You know, that's why people were afraid of us back at, during World War II because we were it was a bunch of farm boys that knew how to put a tractor back together and shoot. And so, what's interesting there is know, that I, I think you could actually unite people on the left and the right with some of that messaging and some of that humor, because I think people who are left of center are going to say, yeah, I, I get that. I agree with that. Or at least I'm sympathetic to that. I think, I think maybe there's a unifying element there that we haven't even considered. 
I hadn't considered it. I actually, <laughs> you're right. I, I, it, no, that's a good point. I just thought just being honest with your comedy, you know, cause that's what I get that a lot when people leave the show. Like that was so cool. I hadn't thought about that. Or that was so, you know, I enjoyed that because my dad used to do that because I really like to go through it and say, you know, that compared to this. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the flaws of the woke mindset is that sometimes it, it kind of interrupts honesty. If you're not being authentic well, the, on stage. Well, look at the, look at the honesty of, 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 the, of the woke mob. You know, they call themselves progressive, you know, progressive. Everything's got to be future. Well, we're, we're looking to the future or, or living right now. And their leaders are some of the, they're dinosaurs. <laughs> they're old, rich, white people. And, but yet we're looking forward. We're progressive. We're the party of the future. You're the party of future caskets. That's what you are. <laughs> uh, before I let you go, Steve, you do a lot of work in a lot of different areas. You've got a YouTube channel. You're on social media. You share some uh, funny stuff and videos on uh, Twitter as well. I, I imagine that's sort of part of what it, you need to be as a comedian today. But uh, sort of share about the creative element of that and kind of having a different platform and you know, in a way, you're a content machine. You, you put out all different things. It's not just you on stage cashing a paycheck. It's you cranking out videos and things. Uh, share share the part of that journey. Well, I, I've loved the discussion. I, I don't know if you know, I went to school for art. Uh, that's I was a cartoonist before I became this. So I have always liked the creative side, the process. And when I discovered that I could make YouTube videos and do characters because – to back up again, I always wanted to be a character actor. I, I was always, uh, I loved watching movies and go, hey, there's that old guy that played the fireman on Beaver. Mm-hmm. Hey, he's in a Western over here. I always thought that was cool, that you cool, that you could play play different things. And so when I could start doing like liberal Larry and conservative, <laughs> uh, conspiracy theory Carl or Tucker the trucker or, or sassy the, the goodwill hunting lady, you know, it's, it's fun and it's creative and I think sometimes, you know, if somebody can see that, they can see, uh, hey, this guy actually might be good in a part I have in a mm-hmm. movie. So it's fun to just, to stay creative like that. And when you're putting out content, you meet such cool people. There's so many other creators. They're like, hey, I love your guy. You know, I love Larry. What about let, let's collab on this. Let's mm-hmm. put him in my meme. And I'm like, yeah, let's do that. <laughs> so it's it's a great I don't know if you knew that like liberal Larry became one of like uh, the, the faces of liberalism in the meme world. He was in all so many Trump memes. And, <laughs> and that was, that was awesome. But then again, my manager said that I've just, I've, I've put myself out over so many platforms and so many things that the, the, uh, the, I don't get the recognition for it, that it doesn't say it's me doing liberal Larry or it's me doing each one has their own platform and name. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's interesting. That's an interesting perspective. I, I, I kind of get that to a certain level, but at some point I'm sort of going to kind of follow the threads back to you and your website or, or kind of connect it to you. But, but that that's another part of being an entrepreneur comedian where you're kind of making sure that all the work you're doing is going towards something positive and constructive and and you're certainly making people laugh, but uh, there's a bigger picture in play. That is interesting, though. So yeah, I, I because, guess you know, you watch Saturday Night Live and you realize that, you know, John Belushi did all those characters, you know, the uh, samurai guy and the, and the bee and the whole. But and that's what he was saying. He goes, you know, people know that you have these characters, but they don't know it's really you. Mm-hmm. But I was afraid when I started a lot of it with the social media that something that Tucker the trucker would say would get me canceled. 
but I could say it as somebody else. Or Liberal Larry could say something that my my right wing friends wouldn't go. Is that you? Is that you believe that? <laughs> Which is funny because I shared your Liberal Larry uh, one of your recent videos, and someone on Twitter said, "Is this real? Is this like she wasn't sure?" <laughs> so I said, "Hey, he's a very funny comedian. It's it's on it's satire. So just run with it." But uh... <laughs> That's, you remember a guy named Phil Hendry? Did you ever know a, a, a radio host named Phil Hendry? He used to do calls. He would he would be his own caller, and he would make people mad. <laughs> With, with the calls, and the best part of listening to him was you knew it was him, but the people calling in mad had no idea the caller was him. That's interesting. And and I've had people tell me that that's what they love about Larry and some of the others is that they follow him knowing, what an idiot. This guy doesn't know it's not real. <laughs> well, I think the best satire sometimes confuses people a little bit because it's so close to the truth, and yet there's a little layer of sarcasm there. But sort of the, it's that tension, that line between the two that makes it so effective. But uh, Anyway, well, one of the ways that people can follow you is go to stevemagrew.com. You can find out tour dates, you know, different comedy albums, all things Steve is, uh, you can find it there. Also, join his podcast. It's called Remasculate. It's funny. because some great interviews in there as well. And his latest comedy album is called Toxic Masculinity. I think you're going to like that as well. Steve, love your stuff. Love your work. And uh, keep making people laugh. I think we need that more than ever. Oh. Thank you, and I appreciate you. Yeah, I'm, I follow, as you know, I follow your stuff and try to share because it's nice to have somebody in the media that is not just, you know, sucking up to Biden all the time. <laughs> I only do it once in a while just to keep the paychecks flowing, but that's it. I, <laughs> I draw a firm line in the sand. <laughs> Thank you, Steve. And I love that. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Right on Hollywood this week. If you enjoyed the show, we'd love it if you shared a five-star review over at the almighty, all-powerful iTunes. If you didn't enjoy the show, well, we're not above bribery. I hope everyone has a wonderful, safe, satisfying New Year's Eve bash, and we'll do it all again next week. Because, I mean, how much worse could 2022 be, right? Thanks for listening to the Right on Hollywood podcast, part of the Just the News Network. We'd love to hear from you about the show. You can email... Christian at HollywoodandToto.com.